of Job is where we are again this evening. If you're new to Calvary Chapel or new on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. We are in the book of Job, chapter 11. And just as a reminder, Job is in the middle of a middle of something that none of us could, can possibly, I guess, totally, completely relate to as to what God has allowed to come into his life. And we don't have time to go through the, the whole story, but basically where we find Job right now is in, in a matter of a day, he lost all of his possessions. Everything was, he was a very wealthy man. He lost everything in a day. Ten of his children were killed in one accident in one day. And then shortly after that, he was struck with this illness that has gave him boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. The, he had, is so, so miserable is this, he can't eat, he can't sleep, he's got worms crawling all over out of the open sores on his body. Just horrendous. And we find out that this happened because Satan came to God and said, look at, look at you. The reason he follows you, the reason he does all of this is because you bless him. You, you take all of that away from him, he'll curse you right to your face. God allowed Satan to do these things to Job with restrictions and we, as we talked through that. But to get us to the point where we are, it's important to know that God said, look at my man Job. There is nobody like him following me, loving me, serving me. And all of this that is taking place in his life is not by the hand of God because of punishment to be brought into Job's life. We've talked about through this that we're not going to get the answers as to why this happens in, in, the, in Job. The story doesn't answer the why question. It's not about explanation, as we said. It's about revelation. We're going to see God show himself in ways that, that Job says at the end of it, I would have never known you in this way had I not gone through all of this. But bottom line, as we come to, as we go through these many chapters, Job has three friends. And as we pointed out, they are three friends. These guys traveled a long way to, to, to come to him. They, they're sitting with him in the dump outside of the city with ashes on themselves, mourning this. They met him there for, and they stayed with him for seven days, not saying a word, just mourning his situation with him. Job broke the silence and they are now one after another, uh, speaking and from what they think is bringing uh, truth to him and trying to bring comfort. But as we've said, all they're doing is making matters worse because they're coming from the perspective, Job, you must have done something wrong. There must be unconfessed sin in your life, blatant sin in your life that you're holding back from us, holding back from God, because that is, there, there's no other explanation for all of this. And Job keeps coming back. I haven't done anything. I don't know of anything like that in my life. And so we're going back and forth. We've heard from his friend Eliphaz. We've heard from Bildad. And so far, we haven't heard from Zophar, but now we're gonna. And one of the things that we've talked about is that it's not just what you say. It's how you say it. It's when you say it. I want to add another one to that mix as we look at Zophar here. Then Zophar, the Naamanite, or Naamathite, answered, Shall a multitude of words go unanswered and a talkative man be acquitted? Um, sometimes. Sometimes, guys, we need to know if we should say anything. 
Like way too often, and we've talked about this even a little bit earlier in our study, we feel that as, as Christians, when we're coming alongside somebody that's going through a difficult time, we have to say something. No, we don't. No, we don't. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, we should just listen. Just listen, pray. All of those, what to say, how to say, when to say it, if to say anything, those are all important that we need to continually bring before the Lord when we're especially dealing with someone who's in a difficult situation. But he's, he is now response, responding to Job, who again says, I haven't done anything. He says, shall a multitude of words go unanswered and a talkative man be acquitted? Basically saying, just because you're talking doesn't mean you're going to get away with this. Shall your boasts silence men and shall you scoff and none rebuke? For you have said, my teaching is pure and I am innocent in your eyes. He's saying, you keep telling us that all of your words are, are true and that we cannot show any sin in your life. Because that's what Job is kind of coming across a couple of times. If I'm guilty of sin, show it to me. Show me what I've done. He's not saying I won't repent, but please give me the evidence of what I've done. And they're saying, well, you say that in our eyes, you're innocent. Now, look what he says, though. He says, but would that God might speak and open his lips against you and show you the secrets of his wisdom. For sound wisdom has two sides. Know then that God forgets a part of your iniquity. What he's saying there is, Job, we might not know, but God knows everything. Guys, that's true. As we have said so many times through this, many of the things that his friends say are true. God knows everything. And what he's saying is, if God were to judge based on everything he knew about you, you aren't even being treated as bad as you should, is basically what he's saying. Now, that's true. But let me just say, that doesn't bring comfort to anyone. <laughs> I know you're going through a really hard time right now, but if God treated you like he should, it'd be way worse. That doesn't bring comfort to anybody. And praise God for his grace, amen, and his mercy that he doesn't treat us as we should be treated. But that wasn't the focus of his, his focus here was not to bring, again, to talk about God's mercy. His part was to say, man, it, it, it could and it probably should be a whole lot worse. Verse 7, can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, deep, deeper than the deepest hell. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who could restrain him? For he knows false men. Ouch. Job, you can lie all you want to us. You can't lie to God. And sees iniquity without investigating. And then he says this, an idiot would become intelligent when a foal of a wild donkey is born to a man. Now, not sure where that, that originated from, but basically what he's saying is that it, by the time you could get enough intelligence to go from being an idiot to being intelligent to stand before God, a donkey would give birth to a man. Okay. His point, what he's saying in all of this is, God is beyond human understanding, and that's true. I shared with you many times, verse I go to all the time, Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, God himself saying, my thoughts and my ways are so much higher than yours, 
As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and that's great. And that, that does bring comfort in difficult times to me and to others, knowing that, okay, God is way bigger. He understands a whole lot more. But again, understand what he's bringing to this. He's, he also, in the way that they're saying this, all the friends, they're presuming that they understand enough about God to know how and why he's dealing in the situation. Even though they have no evidence, they're placing themselves in this higher position. Praise God that even though he is that totally other, holy, beyond us, that he reveals himself to us. His desire is that we do know him. He reveals himself to us in his word. Again, we will never be able to understand completely the depths of God. But he reveals himself to us. He allows us to understand parts of him. I love some of the songs that we were singing earlier, just the truth of that, how amazing and awesome and almighty, all powerful he is, yet he extends his hand to us. He, he reveals himself to us through his word. He's protected this. This is, this is what a privilege we have to gather together and read and to study and talk about God's word, his living word coming directly from almighty God to us. And then obviously again, revealing himself to us in his son, our Lord. Well, verse 13, again, here comes the advice. Now that, again, bringing the guilt, you're guilty, obviously. Here's what you should do. If you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. Then indeed, you could lift up your face without moral defect and you would be steadfast and not fear. For you would forget your trouble as waters that have passed by, you would remember it. Your life would be brighter than noonday. Darkness would be like the morning. Then you would trust because there is hope. And you would look around and rest securely. You would lie down and none would disturb you. And many would entreat your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail. And there will be no escape for them. And their hope is to breathe their last. Basically, repent, everything will be great. If you don't, just hope you're breathing your last breath right now. Again, as I'm reading these, and again, the, the, the poetic nature of the way the book of Job is written, we've talked about that. It is history, absolutely, but it fits into the poetry books, the way that is written. But no doubt, even as it's coming across, he's more concerned with sounding wise and eloquent than he is about bringing comfort and truth. We need, again, great wisdom and discernment when we're dealing with those that are hurting. And, and even when God wants us to come in and speak truth into someone's life, we need to, again, speak the truth in love and, and to continue to, to pray that God would use us. And we'll get to that a little bit more in a moment because we will be held accountable, especially when we're going representing the Lord as these guys are as they're coming. Well, Zophar is done. Job now responds, chapter 12. And I have to say, even before I start reading his response, I, I would love to have had part of the book of Job tell us what Job was like in the things that he said beforehand, because I, I got to confess something. I am a very sarcastic guy. 
I love that kind of humor. I love, I, I love that. It's something that I've had to repent of often in my life because I, it, it can be a weapon that I use to just kind of get a laugh out of myself, but it hurts others, and I, I, I confess that. But I love Job. Some of this stuff, this is, I mean, to me, laugh out loud funny. His response here, again, now, remember Job's situation, and this is what he says. Imagine if Job's in a good mood, how funny he'd be, but this is... Verse two, Job responds, truly then you are the people and with you, wisdom will die. (laughs) It's like, so you're the guys. You are the ones who have all the truth. Man, when you die, I don't know how we're gonna get by without you because wisdom's gonna die with you. (laughs) But I have intelligence as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. And who does not know such things as these? Everything you've said, Captain Obvious. Again, they're bringing this this continued report. Zophar echoing the same sentiments as Eliphaz and, and Bildad. The righteous are blessed. The wicked are punished. Just bringing this blanket statement. It's this gross generalization, though. He's saying, I get that. But it's not always true. It's not always true that, that the righteous and the good are, are blessed and only good things happen. And if something bad happens, it must be because there's, there's wickedness and that all wicked is punished. And he gives some examples. He gives some exhibits, if you would, to back up his first. And first of all, he says, the first exhibit, and I'm going to bring it back to you guys again, is me. Verse four, I am a joke to my friends, the one who called on God and he answered him and just and blame, the just and blameless man is a joke. He said, I am, I'm innocent of, of any known sin in my life and the, the, but I'm being dealt with this way. I am an exhibit of that. He who is at ease, verse five, holds calamity in contempt. He's basically saying it's easy for you to say because things are good for you in your life. So you can, you can hold this in contempt towards me because life's easy. And isn't that so true? It's easy to say things. It's easy to give advice. It's easy to say you should do this. But then when we're put in that situation, and oh, wait a second, hang on. Everything changes. He who is ease holds calamity in contempt as prepared for those whose feet slip Verse six, second, second example that he gives that it's not always this case. The tents of the destroyers prosper and those who provoke God are secure, whom God brings into their power. He's saying many wicked people prosper. Even those, he says, the, the tents of the destroyers prosper. Now, I don't know if he's referring to those, but remember, we talked about that, that there were bandits that came in and wiped out all of his stuff and took all of his things and and took off with all of that. Could be even referring to that. Those that came in and destroyed me are prospering. Whom God brings into their power is even saying, you know, again, God even blesses those. And remember Psalm 73, we've referenced that a couple of times. The, the, the author of Psalm 73 struggled with that too. He's like looking around, all these people that are wicked, all these people that hate you, God, they, they seem to be, don't have any pain in their life. And everything seems to be going great for them. You even seem to be blessing them. 
And he's struggling with that. And Job's saying, again, understand what you're saying. Everybody gets that. However, it's not true every time. It's not true all the time. Thirdly, he brings in, in verses 7 and 8, he speaks of the fact that, that nature cries out against that blanket, blanket statement. But now ask the beasts and let them teach you. And the birds of the heavens and let them tell you. Or speak to the earth and let it teach you. And let the fish of the sea declare to you. He gives examples here of the beasts of the earth, the birds, the fish, even the earth itself. And we know, as it tells us in, in Romans chapter 8, that all of creation is groaning under, under the weight of, of anticipation for everything to be put right again. Because sin entered the world, all of creation suffers. All of creation, the earth itself, sinless. The, the earth didn't do anything wrong. The, the earth, dirt just does what it does. Dirt does what it was created to do. The, the example of when they, they put the, the ark on the cart. Remember in, in, in David's time and they were returned from the Philistines and they put the ark on the cart and they're, walk, they're taking it back and, and all of a sudden and they're, and they're walking along behind and I'm drawing a total blank. Somebody help me out. The guy who reached out. Touched it. Touched the ark. Okay, that guy. Um, the, 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 the ox stumbled and the, the cart tipped and the ark started to fall off the, the, the cart. And he reached out and he touched it. He tried to stop it from falling off the cart and God struck him dead right there. Well, it's because, again, he's thinking now if the ark touches the dirt, it's going to be defiled. But God says, no, the dirt wouldn't defile the ark. Your hand did. Because your hand is sinful. The dirt does what dirt does. It's dirt when it's dry. It's mud when it's wet. It does exactly what I created it to do. Yet the earth is under this curse. The birds, all of this, they're all under that. And they can all testify. They're innocent, yet they suffer. Job's point here. Uzzah. Thank you. Uzzah. Now we don't have to edit later. All right, verse 9. Who among all these does not know? All of, all of creation. Who doesn't know this? That the hand of the Lord has done this. In whose hand is life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Who doesn't know this? And again, not only in his hand, everything. Jesus said, aren't two sparrows sold for one penny? Yet not one falls to the ground without your father knowing, your heavenly father. He knows. And Jesus said, aren't you worth more than a whole lot of sparrows? But not, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without the father's knowledge. Colossians 1.17 tells us that in him, in Jesus, our creator, all things created in him, all things created through him, all things created by him. And it tells us in him, all things are held together, everything. And the breath of all Mankind. Can God in control? Aren't you, aren't you so glad? How many of you thought about breathing today? Or thought about your heart beat beating today? But it kept doing it. I'm so glad I'm not responsible for that. Because <laughs> everything else I got going on, I'd have forgotten. 
God takes care of that. He takes, he, he's the one thinking about it. He's not, that, I love, again, as Job is laying this out, and I love, again, here comes his, I just, I see, I see that little sarcasm coming right through here. Verse 11, does not the ear test words and the palate taste its food? Wisdom is with aged men, with long life is understanding, except you guys are an example of where it's not always true. <laughs> These guys are older than, or as old as Job's father or older. And he's saying, guys, everybody, as you get older, you're supposed to get wiser. You're exhibit number four. Not always true. Verse 13, and again, now Job starts just glorying again in God and the power of God. With him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. All-knowing, all-powerful God. He knows everything. He not only knows everything that's going on right now, he knows everything in the past and he knows everything in the future. He knows tomorrow. He knows next month. He knows next year. He knows eternity. He holds it all in his hand. All-knowing God and all-powerful God. The one who controls all things. The one who intervenes everywhere. And his desire, his plans, his will. To him belong counsel and understanding. Doesn't that make sense? That we should go to him whenever we need anything? Perfect counsel? Even if it doesn't make sense. Especially if it doesn't make sense. I mentioned this last time. Guys, when it comes to God and his wisdom and his might and him being in charge and him controlling, and when we're involved, we are on a need-to-know basis. And there's only one thing we need to know, and that's that God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Anything in addition to that that he lets us in on is just, is just extra praise the Lord. Verse 14, behold, he tears down and it cannot be rebuilt. He imprisons a man and there can be no release. Behold, he restrains the waters and they dry up. He sends them out and they inundate the earth. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The misled and the misleader belong to him. He makes counselors walk bare fools of judges. He loosens the bond of kings. He binds their loins with a girdle. He makes priests walk barefoot and overthrows the secure ones. He de deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on nobles and loosens the belt of the strong. He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He's in control. He's doing it all. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people. He makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grope in darkness with no light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. He's saying, guys, I get it. I get it. All-powerful, almighty God. Behold, chapter 13, my eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know I also know I am not inferior to you. 
He says all of that, kind of laying it out to, again, kind of put them back in their place. But notice what he says here, chapter th- or verse three, but I would speak to almighty God and I desire to argue with God. Now, anybody have the New King James Version? What does yours say instead of argue? Reason. It's actually the same Hebrew word that is translated in Isaiah chapter 118, where God says this to the, the children of Israel and says this to anyone who is, who is rebelling against him. He says, come now, let us reason together. Same word. God invites that. You know, when you read that in, in back in, in chapter 13, verse 3, I desire to argue with God. You're like, whoa, hang on, pal. <laughs> but again, understand his heart and God's heart. Let's, let's reason together. And guys, when we do that, always, if we do that <laughs> rightly, <laughs> guess who wins? Every time. But he says, come, let us reason together. Again, Isaiah chapter 1 says the Lord Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Again, let's just think about that from your and my perspective. That doesn't sound reasonable. But that's the way God treats us. Our sin will be washed away. He's the one. That that doesn't sound reasonable from my end. Praise God, it's reasonable on his end because of what Jesus did for us. He says, if you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The promises are his, guys. The choice is ours. And he says, come, let's reason together. And that's, that's Job's heart. He wants to reason with God, I, I believe, for two reasons. He wants to be vindicated in front of these friends. <laughs> they keep insisting on this. He's like, God, would you please come and tell them? But then I think also I want to reason with God because I really want to know why this is happening. And I think that, again, plays itself out as we continue here. I would speak to, speak to the Almighty. I desire to reason with him, but you, three, smear with lies. You are all worthless physicians. Worthless physicians. The problem with them as, as he's doing this with the physicians, as it would be in the case of any physician, is if you give the wrong diagnosis, <laughs> you can't treat it. The, the treatment that you give is going to be wrong. It's not, it might be the right treatment for the proper diagnosis, but they're diagnosing the situation wrong. I, my wife recently shared the story of, of our oldest son when he, when he was just a baby. She would she would feed him and he'd immediately start throwing up and he's weeks old. And this kept on happening, kept on happening. And and he wasn't keeping any food down at all. So she takes him to the doctor and the doctor said, well, you're just not burping him. Right. Go home and burp him. Right. Well, about another two or three days went later and he's becoming worse and worse and worse. And finally, a friend came over who, was, who knew a nurse, called the nurse over and says, you need to get him to the hospital right now. Walked him into the emergency room. The doctor said, immediately took him into surgery. His stomach, the, the pathway to his stomach was closed. He'd have starved to death. 
Well, my wife tried to learn how to burp them. Wrong, wrong diagnosis, wrong prescription. And that's what he's saying. You guys are worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be completely silent and that it would become your, and that would become your wisdom. <laughs> Just zip it. Please hear my argument and listen to the contentions of my lips. While, will you speak what is unjust for God and speak what is deceitful for him? Will you show partiality for him, judging on outward appearance for God? Will you contend for God? Again, he's, he's saying this to them. You're, you are bringing, you're speaking for the Lord when you're coming. And while it's, I think it's easy too often for us to say, okay, well, I'm not in this situation. I think it's important that we understand how powerful how powerful our words are and how important it is that we, we realize the power of that. James speaks of the, of the power of the tongue in James chapter 3. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. And that's not a discouragement to be a teacher of the word. It's just a, a warning that if, you, if you're going to speak for God, if you're going to share God's word, if you're going to go in any capacity and represent the Lord with his word, you're going to be held accountable for that, is what James is talking about. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yes, yet it boasts of great things. He uses two examples here. He uses the bit in a horse's mouth and the rudder of a ship. Do those determine where the ship or the horse go? No. The rider or the captain of the ship determine and uses those. And James' point with that is, again, especially if we are speaking for the Lord, we better make sure who the captain of the ship is. Because if it's our heart, when we're going and we're trying to speak to someone, whether it's in correction or whether it's whatever it is, our heart can come through in that and cause a great deal of damage. That's why prayer is so important. Surrender to God's will is so important when we are being used by him, whether that is to bring, to bring rebuke, to bring comfort, to, no matter what it is. Again, our tongue, he goes on to say, see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members is that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I mean, James doesn't, James doesn't mince words at all. But he speaks here again of the dangers that we have to be aware of because our fires, he's pointing out the combustion that it can create. It, it speaks of, of a wildfire and we don't have to look very far back in, in news history in California again to see the devastation of what wildfires can do. And that's what James is speaking of, the damage that 
Fire can and it can be caused by something as great as a lightning strike striking out with our tongue or just a little spark, something that just escaped our lips can cause great damage. Verse 7, James chapter 3, every species of beasts and bird and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Talking about, again, poison, the contamination that our tongue can cause. And I mentioned this earlier. I mean, it, it can be disguised in a lot of different ways. Sarcasm is one. Just those little pokes. Got to be careful. Again, who's the captain of the ship? Captain of our hearts. Lastly, he closes this out. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men whom have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Again, our, if our hearts, again, are truly controlled by the Lord, so will our tongue. And there will be times when we don't say anything. When we do say, we got to, again, allow the Lord to speak as opposed to what was going on here because we will be held accountable for that. And he says this in verse 9 back, back in Job, will it be well when he examines you or will you deceive him as one deceives a man? Now he's turning the tables on them. Now you think, you think you're going to get away with this with God? You think you're going to deceive him? Is it going to go well with you? Well, spoiler alert. It doesn't. Chapter 42, jump to the end here real quick. Verse 7. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, our first gentleman, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. You were speaking for me, but you were not speaking of me. You were not speaking truth. You were not, again, in this, even the truth that they were speaking, not, not applicable here, not spoken in love, spoken with the wrong heart, held accountable for that. And God tells him, go to Job, have him make sacrifices on your behalf and pray for you. <laughs> and Job does. Verse 10, he will surely reprove you if you secretly show partiality. Again, judging on outward appearance. God judges based on the heart. Will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall on you? Your memorable sayings are proverbs of ashes. <laughs> Going back to that statement about the donkey giving birth to a man. Yeah, it sounds great, really clever, but they're, they're like ashes. There's no weight to them. There's no... There's no Warmth or heat from that, they're ashes. They're worthless. They blow away in the wind. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Your shield that you have, it's like holding up a clay, clay shield. Can't stop anything. It's, it's worthless. Verse 13, be silent before me so that I may speak. And let come on me what may. He says a couple of things here that let come on me what may, he'll say later, verse 16, for a godless man may not come before his presence. Basically what he's saying, he's, he's calling down, he's saying, would I be talking like this if I really thought that there was something in my life that I was just trying to hide from you? Would I really be saying all of this, calling, calling, all, calling uh, de desiring an audience with God with this? 
Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Verse 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will continue to trust in him even though I don't fully understand it. I don't get it all. That last song that we sang, you don't move the mountain I want you to move. If, if, if you don't part the water that I want to walk through, if you don't answer the questions that I'm asking, bottom line, end of the day, I'm, I'm going to trust in you anyway. Kind of think of what Peter said when Jesus said, are you going to leave too? I said, where else are we going to go? I'm going to trust in you no matter what, because where else am I going to go? You're almighty God. You have the words of eternal life. Think also of Habakkuk as he closes out his short prophecy, Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom and though there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of total devastation, total loss of everything, that where the outlook, it looks like there's no hope, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like deer's feet and makes me walk on my high places. I love those verses in Habakkuk. Again, he's saying, if this absolute devastation comes, I'm still going to worship the Lord. I'm still going to praise him. It has come to Job, and he said, even if it comes to the point where he absolutely slays me here, I... I will hope in him. I will trust in him. Habakkuk, as he's saying all of that, he's saying, you know, I'm going to trust in him because he's going he's to allow me to walk through it no matter how it gets. He's going he's to make my feet like deer's feet. Literally, hind's feet. What it's talking about is the, these small little ibex deer. If you've ever been to Israel, you, we've, we see them almost on every trip, especially when we go to En Gedi. And they like run up the side of these sheer rock cliffs and they're just running around all over up there. And you're like, how in the world do they do that? Because God created them that way. He didn't give them feet like you and me have. He gave them hind's feet so that they could walk up there and they could do all of that. And I remember, and I would bring this to you tonight if you're in the middle of a of a situation in your life that is just, again, you're like, just like that song. Maybe that song resonated with you. You're asking God to move this mountain, but he's not moving it. You're asking him to part this water. He's not parting it. You're asking him to give you understanding and everything in it, but you're just still, and you just don't understand it. I'm going to ask you to pray something different. It blessed me many years ago when I was challenged this way, when I studied through Habakkuk. Instead of asking God to change the path that you're on, ask him give, to give you feet to walk the path that he's placed you on. And he will honor that prayer. Job is crying out here, though he slay me, I'm going to hope in him. He's trusting in the God 
of Habakkuk. He's trusting in the God of Isaiah and David. Nevertheless, verse 15, I will reason. I will reason my ways before him. This also will be my salvation. For a godless man may not come before his presence. I, I trust in him. I trust in him for my salvation. I trust in him for my deliverance. Listen carefully to my speech and my declar- let my declaration fill your ears. Behold now, I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. Who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Now he shifts his attention here, in, starting in verse 20 through chapter 14, to God. He's, not, he's addressing the guys before. Now he's going to address God. Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide from your face. Two things, Lord. Do these two things for me. First of all, remove your hand from me. And let not the dread of you terrify me. Then call and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply to me. Either way is fine with me, Lord. I just, I want this this silence to break. And again, as we look at these last parts, as we've seen in, in Job's responses before, he's misunderstanding what's happening. And that's easy to understand why. He thinks God has abandoned him. He feels abandoned by God. It's not true, but that's what he's feeling. He's saying, God, would you please just open up the communications with me again? Do me a favor first. Don't incinerate me when it happens. <laughs> but you speak first, and, and I'll listen. Or allow me to speak, but let me know you're there. And notice here he says, how many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. When he's talking to these other three <laughs> knuckleheads, <laughs> He's saying, you guys don't know. You don't understand. There's nothing. I have gone through everything. But when he's before God, it's like, show me. If there's something, show me. Reveal it to me. Like Psalm 139, search me, Lord. Know my anxious thoughts. Reveal to me if there's anything, anything that has come between us, anything that is displeasing to you. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? It's not true. God does not consider him his enemy, but that's, that's how he's feeling. Will you cause a driven leaf to tremble? Will you pursue the dry chaff? Again, just the feelings that he has. For you write bitter things against me. Again, not true. Remember back chapter 1, verse 8, God's, God's bragging on Job. <laughs> Look at my man Job. But again, now he's feeling that he just has bitter thoughts towards him. And make me to inherit the iniquities of my youth. He's, he's saying this, I've racked my brain about this. There must be something from my past that I'm still paying for. If you are feeling that way as a believer here tonight, that is a lie from the enemy. He's the one who constantly tries to bring something up from your past. Remember back when you did that? That's why you're going through this. God still is dealing with you on something there. Guys, no, based on the word of God, he, as a born-again believer here tonight, 
God has removed any sin from you as far as the east is from the west. You are not being dealt with and punished for a sin in repentance. There's consequences, yes, but no punishment. Jesus took that punishment. The enemy is the one who reminds you of the sin of your past. You put my feet in stocks and watch all my paths. You set limits for the soles of my feet while I am decaying like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Again, this is what he's feeling. And the enemy is cranked up the heat because remember his whole goal in this, his whole goal, he could care less about Job. His whole goal is to make this Job curse God. So he's going to bring in everything that he can. He's pouring it on every which way that he can. Even to the point back in verse 25, he says, will you cause a driven leaf to tremble? Will you pursue like a dry chaff? To the point where Job is feeling like God is just waiting to just bring that final crushing blow. I want to, as we close, I wanted to get chapter 14. We're not going to get there tonight. Again, because I know, because I think we've all probably been there from time to time, and I want to deal specifically with anyone who may be feeling that that's the case with you tonight. That God is, God is just pursuing you because he wants to just crush you out. Hear the words of God, Isaiah 42. Matthew chapter 12 tells us that Jesus fulfills this. Behold my servant, again speaking now, prophesying of, of Jesus who is to come, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Again, the enemy wants to convince you that he just wants to just snuff you out. But the heart of the Lord is to fan you back into flame. A bruised reed he will not break. You know, he wants to use you to make beautiful music. <laughs> but you need to trust him. Trust him in the process. Trust him, again, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I encourage you, if you're struggling, if you're going through this, and you can relate to Job on any level, read the last chapter. It's okay. Jump ahead. Read the end. God is faithful. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will not snuff you out. As a matter of fact, he will carry you and cradle you in your hands, or in his hands carry you through to the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Almighty, all-powerful God. He holds everything in his hand. And again, even though you might not understand it, ask him to simply give you the feet you need to walk the path he's placed you on, and he's walking it right with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again. We thank you again for this story that you've preserved for us, even though it's difficult for us to read through because we can't wrap our minds around these things. 
And Lord, you've purposely left the why question unanswered as we read through this because your desire isn't to give us a why it happens. Your desire is for us to see you faithful through it all. And so, Lord, I pray that you just strengthen our hearts tonight and specifically those who are in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a storm. Lord, I pray that even right now as as we close and right now as we pray, Lord, that they would feel your loving arms around them. Give them the feet that they need to walk the path that you've placed them on. Lord, you've created them to make it through this. You did not create them to fail. Let them take great comfort and peace in that truth tonight because you reveal it to them, Lord. And Lord, for all of us as as Christians, as born-again believers, Lord, we pray right now that we would always and only be used by you for your purposes. Lord, would you take that captain's seat in each of our hearts always? And Lord, would you use us to bring comfort to those who need it? Would you speak through us your words of comfort to them? Lord, if we need, if rebuke is needed or confrontation is needed, Lord, that we would do it with your heart, with your words, always with the desire of reconciliation, because that's your heart. Have your way, Lord Jesus. We thank you again for our time together tonight. In your word, strengthen us. Lord, use us this week for your purposes, your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.